di bank. Good moment, America. How are you? This is the Terry Wilkerson Show. I am Terry, and thank you for joining me as this ordinary man takes a look at this extraordinary world that we all live in. If you've been with us from the very beginning of the show, back in the major malfunction days, you know that originally the show was just about things that pissed me off and what I thought we could do to remedy them. And as time went on, I fell into the trap of the Rush Limbaugh's, the Ben Shapiro's, the Glenn Beck's of making it almost a politically driven only program. And I've tried numerous times to back away from that. I also added in a format a long time ago where I brought in some sports news and updates and my thoughts on what was going on in the world of sports, specifically baseball, professional wrestling, and NASCAR. I tried moving that into a second show, Tarant Sports, which is still a section on our website, www.terrywilkerson.com. But it just doesn't work out as separate shows. So here we are, we're bringing the entire format all the way back together, everything in the world that's pissing me off, everything in the world that I find good, and everything in the world of sports that I care about, all being covered here on the Terry Wilkerson Show. So for those of you who have been with me on this whole back and forth thing, thank you for putting up with, quite frankly, my bipolar bullshit. But you're still here, you're still listening, and I'm thankful for every single listener that I have. And you guys know this. You, I have listeners around the world. We've talked about this. And you're not going to get a whole lot of podcast hosts who are going to talk to you about their analytics. But hell, I have seen my analytics. I have listeners as far as Russia. Listeners all throughout the United States, Mexico. Listeners in Germany, Russia, even Ireland. So for everybody out there who has listened to this program from the beginning, we're just picking up now. Welcome to the Terry Wilkerson Show. We are so happy to have you here. And we're just going to kind of do our own thing because that's what we do here. We do what the hell we want. Now, for those of you who have been with me for a while, you know I've been having some pretty serious car trouble. Well, thankfully, this past week, one of the reasons that last week's show kind of got delayed was we had an issue with our car. And, of course, we have family all over southeastern and central Pennsylvania. And getting to... Our family is a big deal for my lovely fiance and I, especially the fact that I do have a son that lives in Lancaster. It's about an hour and a half drive away, and he's 18 years old. So if he says, hey, dad, I want to go out to lunch or something, I need to be able to jump on that shit and just go. And of course, the car finally gave us enough trouble that we had to go trade it in and this is not a paid endorsement by any stretch. Let me make that clear. Nobody is paying me to say this. I don't shill for fucking anybody. You guys know this. Everybody knows. But I'm going to sit there and tell you. There is an auto sales place in Fallcroft, Pennsylvania, which is here in Delaware County. It's called Just In Time Auto Sales. I drove in there on Saturday last week. While I was working on the draft of the, the show that we were supposed to have last week, I was driving around trying to find an auto dealership while dictating, and God, I hate to say it that way, but you know, using my uh, app to try and lay out the format for the show. Because you may not realize this, but I do actually have a format for this show. 
driving around trying to figure out how I'm going to do this show and how I'm going to get this car fixed. And I get a message. I get a Facebook message about this auto dealership, Just In Time Auto, Fallcroft, Pennsylvania. I pull in there just to see what's going on. Let me tell you, that same day, we ended up buying a 2013 Hyundai Elantra. Beautiful car. The, the price was amazing. And, of course, the people over there, great financing, great, great help. I don't think I can emphasize. But these guys were professional. They were courteous. They were knowledgeable. And, quite frankly, you guys know that I have a pretty good bullshit detector. My bullshit detector did not go off once when I was initially dealing with them or since, which tells you what it tells you. I trust these guys just in time, auto sales, cars and trucks, Fallcroft, Pennsylvania, Chester Pike. Look them up. I have a link up to them on the website and we're going to put the, the address and the phone number in the show notes for this particular episode. So I want you guys, if you're in the area, if you're anywhere in Southeastern Pennsylvania or southwestern new jersey if that's really a thing as a jersey boy there's only two parts of jersey north and south but hey whatever you guys want to believe go over to just in time auto sales tell them terry wilkerson sent you and please you know these guys these guys are good i don't like i said i don't show for anybody but i will tell you i believe in these guys and i will always be straight with you about Companies and products I believe in, I believe in these guys. Just in time, auto sales, Chester Pike, Fallcroft, Pennsylvania. Check the show notes, check the website, check them out. You're going to love it. Great guys, knowledgeable, courteous, all of those great little adjectives that people like to put up in their reviews. That's what these guys are. And you know what? They were cool. That's probably the biggest selling point for me is they were cool to me they were cool to my fiance they were cool because you know they're there to help you get into a car it's really really rare nowadays for any small business to be able to put that level of care and consideration into their sales process and that's a huge problem we have in this country is that these giant retailers have overtaken everything and in a world where you have places like Carvana who are what what do these car vending machines and that just makes absolutely no damn sense to me and they're real that's the worst part but in a world where everything is so online and everything is so mechanical everything is so precision everything is almost a surgical process in getting a loan for a car or for that matter for a house or for anything else it's great to have a local small business that can still provide the level of service and customer quality and satisfaction that the old days provided. That's the kicker to all of this, folks. It's a very old school place. And you know your humble host loves old school. These guys, these guys are old school. And I can't thank them enough. Al, George, you guys did us a solid. You did great. Thank you. And... Check out, the, check out the website. The link will be, again, in the show notes. The link is on the website. Also on all of my social media pages. Getter, Twitter, all of the social media. Go check them out. 
I'm happy because now I have found this car dealership and we actually have a functional, a fully functional car. Not that the Malibu wasn't functional, but we have this fully functional car now that, you know, there's something about buying a new car, even when it's not brand new. There's something about buying a new car that's just exciting and satisfying all at the same time. So... If you are somebody out there, now I I have a friend who just recently sold their car. They had a Subaru and they sold it and they bought a brand new Subaru. They like the all wheel drive. I can understand that. And they live in an area of Pennsylvania where when it snows, those mountains and those back roads, they get fucking slick. They can get bad. And he just traded in his old car. I believe it was something like a 2016 or 2017, and he bought a brand new, it was either a 2022 or a 2023. I'm not entirely certain which one it was, but he bought this car because of the all-wheel drive. He's got fantastic credit because he's a great guy and great at what he does for a living. And I kind of just sat back and watched, you know, the process of him buying this car on social media. And it reminded me, a lot of how, as I, the term I used a moment ago was surgical, because that's the only way I can really explain it, was how surgical the process has gotten. There is absolutely no personable aspect to sales left anymore. And that is a huge problem that we have in this country. We have been desensitized to the personal touch. We have been desensitized to the individual aspect of commerce and it's an intentional thing it's intentional by not only our government it's intentional by the sales force it's intentional by big whatever industry name you want to put in there which is why i always tell you guys if you have the opportunity to buy from a local mom and pop of whatever particular good you're talking about be it a consumable or a durable good be it a car or be it a hamburger if you can if it's viable spend your money at a local mom and pop a local family-owned business a local sole proprietorship to hell with these big corporations that constantly take our money and then turn around and shove their own political narratives down our throats We're going through this with Amazon. We go through this with Disney and its subsidiaries of ESPN and Hulu and whatever the hell it is they all own. They're forcing their political agenda down our throats because they know good and damn well that we're going to want to watch the game or we're going to want to watch the latest episode of The Mandalorian. So they think they got us by the short hairs. If you can find an alternative way of any form, a legal alternative way, let me make that disclaimer, of obtaining the content or obtaining the durable good or the consumable good that you're seeking, I highly recommend you do it. And if it can benefit your local economy, if it can benefit that mom and pop or that sole proprietorship or that small business in your area, then all the better. This is a huge step we can make in this country towards reducing our dependence on big enter industry name here. 
This country was not built on massive worldwide corporations taking your money because you had no alternative. This country was built on entrepreneurship. This country was built on the spirit of community. And this country was built on the idea of making yourself better tomorrow than you were today. And the only way we're ever going to recapture that spirit, the only way we are ever going to reach that point in our society again is to stop giving places like Amazon, Carvana, and even fucking McDonald's our money and start going back to that guy down the street who you know good and damn well makes the best barbecue or that small sole proprietorship car lot that gives you that personal touch and listens when you you know what you need in a car or even if you need a pair of pants, a pair of jeans, a, a t-shirt, what have you, instead of going to Men's Warehouse or Walmart or Target to get it, find a local tailor or even a local, I don't know if you're aware of this, but local uh, Salvation Army stores. They put a lot of money and a lot of good back into the community. So find something local. Find something small. Put your money there. You're investing in your community and you're investing in the United States of America. And quite frankly, in the economic, political, and social scenario that we are in right now across this country, I can't think of a better way to invest in the future of America than into, to invest in your own community. All right, we're going to get away from the moderately heavy stuff for a minute. We're going to get back to some heavy stuff, but... We're going to go into your favorite of mine. We're going to talk about this week in American history. All right, we did skip last week. You know what happened. Uh, I've told you the story now. So we're going to start back from July 31st. And, of course, July 31st in American history, July 31st, 1809, the first practical railroad track in the United States was laid down. It was a wooden track, and it was originally designed for horse-drawn carts. And, of course, this was designed, developed, and built in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Also on July 31st in 1912, a very interesting little factoid, the United States government officially prohibited the release of movies and photos of prize fights. Apparently, this was because it glorified violence, and in... 1912, I don't know, I, I believe Jack Johnson was probably the biggest name in all of sports at that point. But this is the first known example of government censorship of American media production. Obviously not talking about newspapers, I'm talking about what we now think of as Hollywood. What we now think of as the photography industry. Life magazine would come out of this and what have you. But this was the first known example of a censorship of our art. And it hasn't stopped. And it's not going to stop until we stop it. By the way, real quick water break. <sighs> Nothing like a good ice water out of my good old-fashioned... Huh, my mossy oak tumbler, which I've had, I guess, oh, about 10 years now. Now, you want to talk about durable goods. That thing is durable. That thing has been with me through hell and back, and I, I still have it, still use it every single day of my life. All right, getting back into this week in American history, August 1st, 1794. The Whiskey Rebellion begins in western Pennsylvania. 
What was this all about? Look it up. But the bottom line is, it was about taxes. It was about government control of local industry. Are you seeing a pattern develop between what I talked about at the opening of the show and looking back at American history? It's always been. Every uprising in American history has always been about government overreach. Hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, know what I mean. All right, August 2nd, 1776, the Declaration of Independence was signed. Where? In Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, about eight blocks from where I work. And of course, August 2nd, 1979, sad day for Yankees fans. Still to this day, it is a sad day on the calendar. The Yankees captain, Thurman Munson, was killed in a small prop single uh, airplane crash. He was the pilot. He was flying uh, from Canton, Ohio. The plane crashed. Thurman was killed instantly. Um, there's, of course, that legendary moment, that, that picture of Reggie Jackson standing in the outfield at Yankee Stadium with his hat on his heart, just sobbing like, like a child. And uh, I can't really blame him because I didn't even get to see Thurman. Thurman was about – I was three when Thurman Munson died. But just knowing what he meant to the Yankees and as a lifelong Yankees fan, as somebody who the Yankees are in my blood, they're a part of who I am, I wasn't even conscious of it. But even looking back, the loss of Thurman Munson, it still hurts to this day. August 3rd, 1921. We're sticking with baseball history here. The commissioner of baseball, Kennesaw Mountain Landis, who was actually made commissioner to deal with some of the darker side issues of Major League Baseball. Kennesaw Mountain Landis hands out lifetime bans to eight Chicago White Sox players accused in the Black Sox scandal. This came despite the fact that the Black Sox players were acquitted by a Chicago jury. Now, obviously, if you've ever seen the movie Eight Men Out, you're familiar with the names of Eddie Sacati, and, of course, Shoeless Joe Jackson, who could have very well ended up being the greatest player in baseball history. Shoeless Joe, of course, would go on to be one of the central characters in the short story Shoeless Joe Jackson Goes to Iowa, which became the movie Field of Dreams, which is still one of those films that, like, punches me in the guts every single time I see it. August 3rd, 1921, Kennesaw Mountain Landis with what you could consider an absolute overreach of his authority. I know I normally do just American history, but this one is very, very important for the history of the world in general. On August 3rd, 1934, Adolf Hitler merges the offices of Chancellor of Germany and President of Germany and declares himself the Fuhrer. The rest, well, the rest is some of the darkest times in American history and in world history, and one of the the greatest examples of why our leadership in this country and around the world cannot be allowed to continue unchecked. There has to be some form of checks and balances against all governments. If there had been such a check and balance system against the German chancellor in 1934, who knows what may or may not have happened. But This is where we are now, August 3rd, 1934. August 4th, 1892, the legend of Lizzie Borden essentially is born. Schoolteacher Lizzie Borden's father and stepmother 
were murdered with an axe in Fall River, Massachusetts. Now you've all heard the little nursery rhyme. Lizzie Borden took an axe, gave his father forty, gave her father his, gave her father forty wax. You've heard that before. Well, that was the date. It was August fourth, eighteen ninety-two. Lizzie, of course, was later arrested, tried, and acquitted. Funny how these things seem to happen. That you become a legend for something bad, even when you're acquitted. August fifth, eighteen sixty-one. We have a theme this week, folks. President Abraham Lincoln signs the first United States personal income tax into law. It was a tax of 3% on incomes over $800. So for all of those people on Capitol Hill, and I use people in a very loose way, who say that the rich have never paid their fair share, do you really think somebody making $800 in 1861 was a common thing. Let me guarantee you folks, it wasn't. And Abraham Lincoln, everybody's idol, everybody's icon, everybody's paragon of a great president, signed in the first United States personal income tax. And of course, August 6th, 1787, the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia begins where they bring to the floor debate on the first draft of the Constitution. That is This Week in American History, and of course that one little addition on world history, because quite frankly the appointment of Adolf Hitler to the lead of Germany is one of the most significant moments in American history. That's the way things were each day in this last week in American history. Now, I normally will come on here and talk about the way things were in a specific time in American history, as in normally I'll come on here and talk about what the top TV show was or the top movie star or what the number one selling record was. But this week I have to actually present a question when I'm looking at the way things used to be. Because everybody wants to bitch, whine, moan, and complain about American history about how we are systemically racist, about how uh, American history is based on, quite frankly, what they now think American history is based on is a load of bullshit. American history is based on the concept of freedom, independence, and individual rights. But everybody wants to talk about how bad things were in the past. Well, then I have a question for everybody out there that thinks America's history is so damn bad. Here's my question. If things were so shitty... In days of yore, why is nostalgia so prevalent in our society right now? That's an honest question. If you think things were so fucking bad back in the 1960s, why are you still listening to Jefferson Airplane and the Grateful Dead? Why are you still walking around giving the peace sign and chanting flower power? If things were so bad in the 1970s, if race relations were so bad, why is it people still want to watch Shaft or Foxy Brown or any of the quote-unquote black exploitation movies that came out in that time? Why do we still look at the 1970s as being one of the pinnacles of music in this country? We look at the 70s and we think of, we definitely think of disco, but you also think of Earth, Wind, and Fire. You also think of, well, Gloria Gaynor is disco to an extent, so you think of that. You think of a lot of these bands like Yes and Styx and Rush, and there's this certain sense of nostalgia. Of course, the formation of what we now know of as punk music. The, the formation of now 
what we think of as heavy metal with Ozzy Osbourne, with uh, Black Sabbath. If things were so bad, why are you walking around wearing a fucking Black Sabbath t-shirt? 1980s, the, the decade of excess, the decade of greed. But yet, every time you see a new TV show being launched, it's not new. It's a rehash of something from the 1980s. They remade Magnum P.I. They remade um, uh, Hawaii Five-0. They're remaking Quantum Leap, for Christ's sake. But things are that bad. Things were so terrible back then. Your generation completely fucked up our planet. Then why do you have such a longing to return in an emotional and intellectual sense to a time that you claim was so terrible in our history? Why? Because you know what we knew growing up. You know now what we already figured out. We had our shit together. We knew what was cool. We knew what was right. We knew what was wrong. You ever see those memes with the the old lady? Well, she's old now. But the lady sitting next to a really cool car wearing bell bottoms in the 1970s. And it says, you will never be as cool as your grandmother. Guess what, pal? You will never be as cool as your grandmother. And you will never work as hard as your grandfather. And you will never, ever fucking be the man that your father, your grandfather, your great-grandfather were. And I'm not sitting here and attacking you personally, but what I'm saying is because we have gotten so soft as a society, we have gotten so soft as a people, there is no way in hell you can ever be forced to be the man they are. Things were so shitty back in the 1930s and 40s. Okay, then how do you explain the millions of men who lined up to fight in World War II to save the rest of the damn world? We're a shitty country. We have saved this entire planet on two separate occasions. Do you think about that before you say it? Or do you just repeat whatever talking point is thrown at you? The, the, the communists on the left just want you to believe that everything in American history has been absolute shit, that we are a history of racism and we are a history of sexism and we are a history of whatever ism it is that you want. And then, of course, you have the ultra, ultra, ultra right trying to tell you that, no, American history is apple pie and grandma and, and kumbaya. No, American history has had some shitty moments, but we got our shit together. What makes America special, and I have said this a thousand times if I've said it once, what makes America special it is, that, is that it is the only nation in the history of the world that has recognized the evils that it has done and changed the entire social structure to make good on the mistakes that we've made. Russia hasn't done that. China sure as hell hasn't done that. Germany, Romania, Italy, no. Canada, <laughs> no. No, just America. But you want to talk about how bad things are now and how they've always been that bad? Then take off that fucking Ramones t-shirt. As a matter of fact, I don't care what side of the nostalgia thing you're on. If you're under the age of 30... Take that Ramon shirt off right now. You weren't there. You don't understand. You don't know what that time was like. You have no idea what it meant to be a fan of the Ramones. It's a badge of honor. It is a lifestyle 
still to this day. I am almost 47 fucking years old, and I still listen to the Ramones to this day. I can still tell you where I was the first time I heard them. I used to sit in my parents' basement and listen to a record of Ramones Mania. Because I was there. I remember what life was like. My nostalgia for that long-forgotten era is based on experience. It's not based on what I fucking read on Wikipedia. So if things are so damn shitty now, and if things have always been that shitty, stop the nostalgia. Stop pretending that you can cherry-pick the parts of what was great back then and celebrate it now. It just doesn't work. And that's why we're where we are now. That's how things used to be. Things used to be cool. You used to be able to go out and hang out with your friends no matter what color or, or sexual orientation or what neighborhood they came from. Yes, there were there were cliques. You know, you had the the socks. You had that yeah, I just threw out a, an outsider's reference there. You had the rich kids. You had you know the rejects, you had the socks, you had whatever group you want to put, the greasers. But you still understood that other people had other views of things. That's the way it used to be. Where are we at now? You can't have an opposing view. No matter what. No matter what your opposing view is. If, if you're an ultra-right-wing conservative Christian Republican, the people who don't believe in God are absolute evil. And if you are an ultra-left-winger, then you believe that anybody who does believe in God or, or believes in traditional values is a fascist scumbag. Meanwhile, there are those of us who kind of sit right in the middle and go, you're both fucking idiots. Because yes, there are bad seeds on each side. There are horrible human beings out there who are Christian conservatives, and there are horrible human beings out there who are atheist socialists. There are horrible people in the middle, too. Don't make no mistake. I'm not claiming that just because I sit in the middle... That there's not assholes everywhere. There is. There, there are. There's assholes no matter what section of society you're talking about. But to pretend that somebody else's opinion automatically makes them evil. That somebody else's view of the world automatically means that they are somehow less valuable as a human being. That's disgusting. And that's the exact point we have reached. In this society, in this iteration of quote-unquote civilization. That's where we're at now. That's the way things are. Things are, you can't have a different opinion. You cannot look at the world differently than me because that makes you evil. You know what makes somebody evil? It, it, somebody who walks around believing that the way somebody else lives is incorrect in their own mind... That's not evil. Evil is an action. Evil is a verb. You have to do something evil to be evil. I don't agree with everything that Donald Trump has ever done. I wouldn't call him evil. I don't agree with everything that Barack Obama... I can't even pronounce his name properly. I get pissed. I can't look at Barack Obama and say he's an evil human being. I think he's a vile, disgusting human being. But I can't call him evil if I'm being honest and fair. So quit the bullshit. Stop using your own political motivation, your own ideology, to judge other people. Whether you believe it in the concept of the Bible of just of judge not lest ye be judged, 
or if you believe it in a more stoic nature of keeping your house in order before you judge others. No matter what area you want to approach this from, we need to stop the shit. We need to stop judging one another on an immediate basis. We need to find out. If you want to judge a person, find out more about them. The whole walk a mile in somebody's shoes, it actually applies. And it's not only applicable to the way you treat other people, it's the way you live your life. If you don't understand how somebody else is living their life, and you just automatically jump to conclusions about who they are as a person, what does that say about you? Well, to me, as somebody who has done it and lived through this, what it said to me is that I was so insecure in my own beliefs that I had to get in the head of somebody else. That it, We talk nowadays, the whole talking point is they're living rent-free in your head. And that's probably the best way to put it because that's exactly what happens when you start looking at other people and you start organizing your thoughts about their life without understanding anything about the life they actually live. Another water break. Stop the bullshit. All right. We're going to go into our Q&A. We actually only have two questions this week, but they're actually very good questions. And the first one is, what can we do to make our own lives less chaotic? This is a fantastic question because I have, I think I have lived enough to be able to answer this question from a personal point of view. I would say the very first step in making your life less chaotic is you have to realize that you yourself are the center of everything. You're the center of the chaos that was created and you're the center of the solution to that chaos. You have to be able to identify that you are the only person you can affect. That's number one. You can, if you're going to keep blaming everybody else around you, you have no control and reducing chaos is about control. If you're trying to control somebody else, number one, the, the most basic human right is the right to be an individual. Trying to control somebody else, not cool. And also not going to work. You also, though, if you are trying to control somebody else, that means you're allowing yourself to lose control. Now, just as a quick sidebar, an example I have to use with this, one of the reasons that I, I, I look at the, the porn industry with disdain is that you have essentially, essentially the porn industry is you have a bunch of guys or women, you know, whoever happens to be watching this product that are so dependent upon the sexuality of another person to get their jollies, to get their rocks off. They can't have a, an, an independent sexual thought. They have to go to some video and find whatever particular, um, you know, whatever particular fantasy that they have. They have to go and find that. You're allowing somebody else's actions. You're allowing somebody else's sexuality and somebody else's looks to dictate your personal sexual behavior. That's what I don't understand about porn. Is it, it's addictive. Because people get the, the notion, people get this idea in their head that this is where I go to see what I want. Instead of actually pursuing it in your real life. This, of course, happens in movies and TV shows that aren't pornographic. You, you tend to gra you gravitate 
toward media that fits the fantasy you've created in your head. Build the fantasy in your life. Make yourself the center. Figure out, and this comes into my second um, idea, this comes into my second step for how to make life less chaotic, is to identify what really matters to us. If you're somebody who, we're going to use that example again, uh, you have a particular sexual fetish, if that's what's important to you, then you have to build your life so that you can execute that particular fetish with somebody who is also into it. Obviously, if you're going to push your sexual fantasies or your political beliefs or your social beliefs on somebody else, you're giving them that power. You're giving somebody else power over your body, over your mind. And then you're never going to fix your own life. So identify what's truly important to you. Focus on those things. When you get up in the morning, what do you want to accomplish in your day? Because when you have a plan laid out, when you have a mission statement laid out in your head about what you want out of life, and you stick to that plan, you're going to be more productive. You're going to get there, maybe not sooner. I'm not going to sit and say you're going to get there quicker, but you're going to get there and you're going to get where you want to be and you're going to stay where you want to be for a more sustained period of time if you focus on what truly matters to you. Obviously, there are going to be roadblocks. You're going to have to go around them, through them, whatever. You're going to have to do for other people. But when you do for other people, make sure that by doing for them, it actually benefits you in the long run. And I'm not talking about selfishness in the definition that we're given now. What I'm talking about is giving somebody a loan or giving somebody a, a sandwich or whatever it is, helping somebody out. Is that something you believe in? Is that truly something that deep down inside makes your life better? Because if you're giving away that sandwich or you're giving somebody a loan and you don't think that that loan is ever going to come back or that sandwich is the only thing you had to eat, guess what? You have harmed your own life and the next time around, you're out that loan or you're out that sandwich and you're not going to be able to eat that day. You, as much as it may sound like being a selfish asshole, if you're going to give to somebody, if you're going to do for somebody, it has to be done under the premise that it benefits you or somebody you love. Now, remember that because when we talk about the self, we're talking about their immediate circle. We're talking about the people around them that are important to them that make their lives better. Do you want to give that sandwich to some random stranger on the street? Or what if, say, your son or daughter or nephew or wife or your uncle or husband or grandfather, what if they're hungry? Who would you rather give that sandwich to? And if all of those family members are perfectly fine, you eat the sandwich yourself. You bring that nourishment into your own body. So when you act, you have to act in a way that's beneficial to yourself. If you do believe in giving to other people, to making other people's lives better, if you believe in that, you also still have to take care of yourself first. Because if you don't, then you're not going to be around to help those people. Kind of simple. The other thing I would say to make your life less chaotic is you have to find an escape. You have to find something that makes your life more fun, that makes your life a little bit easier. You have to find something, a diversion, a hobby, if you will. For me, this is one of my escapes. 
this, doing this podcast, doing the website, doing the video shows. Writing. These are my escapes. These are the way I enter a different part of my own mind. Yeah, I, I also have a uh, farming simulator on my computer. It's a way of connecting with a part of my own family's past and a little bit of who I could have been. It's an escape. You need that decompression. You cannot go at 100 miles an hour the whole day. Ask yourself what happens if you're taking your new car, your 2013 Hyundai, and you go out on the highway at 100 miles an hour all the way until you run out of gas. You're going to destroy the engine. And that's exactly what's going to happen to your body and to your mind. If you go 100 miles an hour without maintaining refueling and and taking care of your own mind and your own body, you're going to end up dead on the side of the road. So there's my quick answer. I could actually sit here and spend an entire episode talking about it, but I'll give you that quick answer. Those are the steps you can take to make your life less chaotic. The other question we have this week is from a friend of the show in Florida. Again, I don't want to give his name right now because I never bothered to ask ahead of time. He asked, and let me bring up the exact wording of the question here. Well, what do you know? I actually, uh, okay. With the NFL Cardinals fucking up with Kyler Murray, do you think we see him ending up in an A's uniform in the next few years? Now, the whole Kyler Murray situation, I've kind of, I can't say I've been following it pinpoint, but I have certainly kind of followed it from a distance, followed it on the peripheral. Kyler Murray, of course, was a two-sport star in college. He was drafted by the Oakland A's, and he ended up getting drafted by the Arizona Cardinals as well. I believe they're still Arizona. I'm not a big NFL fan anymore. And what happened here was they actually put a provision into his contract extension that he had to prove four hours minimum per week of independent film study to maintain his contract. Well, of course, everybody threw a fit. Warren Moon threw a fit, claiming that it was racially driven, which, of course, everything in this fucking world nowadays is racially driven. Do I think he's going to end up in an Oakland A's uniform? No, I do not. And I'll tell you why. Kyler Murray is part of a generation that is so hyper-focused on the self and so hyper-focused on the promotion of the self. He knows that he can make more money in the NFL. He knows that he can be a bigger name in the NFL because it is so much easier to be a bigger name in the NFL than it is to be an MLB. It really is. I I know you could sit here and tell, oh, no, football's a rougher sport. No, because there's nothing in the world harder than hitting a 100-mile-an-hour baseball solidly on a regular basis. Nothing. No sport comes anywhere near it. Kyler Murray knows he can be a bigger name. He knows he can have more publicity. He knows he can have a shorter career and make more money in the NFL than he can in Major League Baseball. Right now, he is a medium to big-sized fish in the NFL pond. If he does quit the NFL and goes to play for the Oakland A's, he's going to have to go back through the minors. Let's be honest. And if he goes back through the minors, he becomes just another fish in an ocean. So there is no small fish, big fish scenario. He just becomes another fish in the ocean. So my answer to your question is no, I don't think we see him ending up in Major League Baseball. 
because right now he's probably just sitting back, smiling, enjoying the publicity that this whole thing has gotten him. I'm not attacking Kyler Murray on a personal level. I talked earlier about walk a mile in his shoes. This is simply an observation. That's what I do on the show. I observe the world around us. And from my observation, Kyler Murray is part of a generation that is more concerned with publicity, is more concerned with TikTok and Instagram than they are with substance. They are style over substance. They are sizzle over steak. And I think he is enjoying every single second of it because if he had signed with the Oakland A's, his name would not be in the newspaper or on ESPN every goddamn day the way it is now. He's going to stay in the NFL. He's going to smirk and laugh his ass off as we all sit back and debate a contract provision. And he's going to have money rolling in left and right knowing that eh, all these idiots are sitting there arguing about this contract provision. I'm still getting paid $25, $30 million a year. No, Kyler Murray is not going anywhere. He's loving every single second of this. So those are our two Q&A questions for this particular week. Now, I did say I was going to start bringing in a little bit more of the political commentary and the sports commentary back into this particular show. Right now, all I really want to say is um, Jordan Montgomery, Yankees left-hander, came up through the Yankee system. He... Was Andy Pettit, he is, I should say, not was, Jordan is still with us. Jordan is very Andy Pettit-like. He has just never reached the level of intensity and, and the level of precision that Andy Pettit has. Uh, Pettit, just phenomenal, borderline Hall of Famer. Not a Hall of Famer, but borderline. Jordan Montgomery was traded by the Yankees to the St. Louis Cardinals for Harrison Bader. A very good defensive center fielder, a very speedy center fielder, who is on the disabled list until roughly September. And you, if you're a Yankees fan or a baseball fan in any fashion, you kind of have to sit back and go, what in the hell is Brian Cashman thinking? Why are you trading away a number three or four starter for a defensive replacement that's not coming back until right before the postseason? What's going on? Was there something we don't know? that just doesn't jive to me. Something about that doesn't make sense. Much like the Juan Soto deal doesn't make any sense to me. Juan Soto ends up going to the Padres. So now you have Fernando Tatis, Juan Soto, and Manny Machado all on one team. This should be, on paper, that should be a consistent NLS, NLS, NL West winning team. But I don't really see that come into fruition, especially not this season. So what was the point of the trade? And you're only going to have him for two and a half years. He wouldn't sign that extension with Washington. You're only going to have him for two and a half years. Where's he going to go from there? Is he going to go to the Mets, the Yankees, the Dodgers? I don't think he stays in San Diego when his extension comes up. Because Soto, Soto is so good at playing the game, and he knows it, that he can basically, once he walks from San Diego, he can command any price that he wants. And I'm pretty sure he's going to. You're going to see a contract this, you know, with the gross domestic product of a small European nation in two and a half years when Juan Soto goes up for free agency. Also want to touch on, real quick, uh, Ric Flair, the greatest wrestler that ever lived, period. 
wrestled his final match at the age of 73 last weekend. He teamed with his son-in-law, Andrade El... El, El, El Andrade. <laughs> because, you know what? And I actually... I can speak conversational Spanish, but I stumble over this guy's name all the time. Andrade El Idalo. Why can't I get that? Teams up with his son-in-law, Andrade, who, of course, is married to Charlotte Flair, to face Jay Lethal, the guy who did the greatest Ric Flair impression of all time, and Jeff Jarrett. Of course, historically, Ric Flair and Jeff Jarrett have a great past in the ring, uh, not so much outside of the ring. From what I understand, they have had their issues. There's been some heat there. But to have Flair in the ring with his son-in-law against one of his biggest fans, against teaming with one of his greatest rivals, and this is a card promoted on Jim Crockett Promotions, which is where Flair really got to be known in the 1980s. And this is all put together by his other son-in-law, Conrad Thompson. And no, Flair did not put on a five-star match. I don't think Meltzer is going to be putting him in the five-star category anytime soon with this one. But he went out there, he put on a show for his fans, and that's what the whole Ric Flair's final match was. That was Ric Flair going out there for his fans, giving them one final show, giving them one final woo. And I don't think anybody could have asked for a better ending in terms of the situation. I don't think Ric Flair could have asked for a better ending. I am proud to have been a Ric Flair fan since I first started watching professional wrestling. And, you know, Ric Flair is such a huge figure in pop culture right now. To see him finally go out and go out on his terms, I I don't think anybody, especially Nate, could have asked for anything better. Staying on the topic of WWE real quick, Vince McMahon, of course, we didn't get to, to get to this last week because we couldn't do a show has retired from WWE. This doesn't matter if you're a wrestling fan or not. Vince McMahon is probably the name in the promotion of professional wrestling history, period. End of end of fucking sentence. Vince McMahon retired. Now, of course, it's due in part to his age and due in part to the accusations that have been made against him. Either way, the idea of waking up in the morning as a wrestling fan, as a WWE fan, even as a WWE employee, the idea of waking up and Vince McMahon not being a part of the company, it's just mind-blowing. But let's be honest, the man created WrestleMania. He created the Rock and Wrestling Connection. He created a, a social consciousness. He, Like it or not, professional wrestling in the 80s and then late 90s were part of the social consciousness. There, there wasn't just, it wasn't just DX walking around doing the crotch chop. There were millions of people around the country wearing Austin 316 shirts and doing the suck it crotch chop. We wouldn't have the NWO. We wouldn't have the Bullet Club if it wasn't for the way Vince McMahon redefined the presentation of professional wrestling and the NFL. Don't forget that. Vince McMahon was the creator of the XFL. They had a very specific presentation for television. Dick Ebersol was the producer of that particular program, of that particular league. And, of course, he went on to be one of the head honchos at NBC, and he brought the production quality and production methods that Vince McMahon came up with for the XFL into the NFL. So it's not just wrestling. Vince McMahon's production methods are so important to modern-day sports presentation and the the history in the last 40, 50 years of 
now again, not only professional wrestling, but television presentation. Vince McMahon's methods changed a lot of our media. It changed a lot of the presentation of our sports. And whether you like him or not, whether you like what he's done with the company in the past few years or not, the man deserves to be remembered as a genius. The man deserves to be recognized as a legend in his sport and overall in the production of sports, period. So Vince McMahon, happy trails. I hope everything works out. I hope um, I hope they figure this whole lawsuit thing out. You know, and I hope Vince just gets to live out the rest of his days at least somewhat comfortable because whatever he may or may not have done on a personal level, what he has done for the sport of professional wrestling and what he has done for the the entertainment industry as a whole can never be forgotten and can never be denied. Thank you, Vince McMahon, for shit almost 50 years of everything you did as a wrestling fan. And, of course, as somebody who is in the media and production industry, thank you for everything, Vince. Happy trails and looking forward to seeing what Triple H does with the company from here on out. We're going to wrap this particular episode up right now. I want to thank everybody for joining me. Of course, going back to the very beginning, I want to thank the guys over at Just In Time Auto Sales. Uh, I don't think I can really emphasize how much better I feel with this particular new car. Um, and again, a bunch of great guys. And I don't chill. Don't, don't think for one second. Not a paid endorsement. This is me being honest with everybody. So I hope everybody has a fantastic week. Go out there, focus on yourself, focus on the people you love. Because we're all, whether you believe we're put here by God or whether we're put here by evolution, we're all here and realistically what we just need to do is we all just need to be cool to one another. Stop the bullshit. It, it, you, Smokey the Bear used to say only you can prevent forest fires. Only you can prevent social bullshit. Thank you for joining me. The Terry Wilkerson Show. See you next week. The Terry Wilkerson Show is a production of 1975 Podcast Productions, a division of 1028 Media. Go to www.terrywilkerson.com for more information. The Terry Wilkerson Show can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor.fm, Amazon Music, and wherever you download your fine podcast content. Please like, share, subscribe, and if you're on a platform where you can do so, give us a five-star rating. That's all for this time, and until next time, have a great day.